everyone, to Blue Notes podcast series brought to you by leading water intelligence market experts, Blue Tech Research. We're your hosts. I'm Divya Inna. And I'm Reese Owen. And we're back talking about all things water. But um, so welcome, Reese. It's, it's, it's been a while since we've been since we did this, I think. I don't know how many years now. <laughs> it has been a while. Yeah. Hi, Divya. Yeah. It's good to be back doing this again. So we're going to be talking about the research that Blue Tech has done this month. And we'll go through what's uh what we've been covering in a minute yeah and but you know before we get into that to the specifics reese you know just wanted to just ask you i guess we're at the tail end of 2023 and what we're what we've been focusing on or i guess the mood at blue tech has been very much kind of reflections looking back through 2023 and what's coming uh what's happened and you know in terms of our event that's coming up um on the december 4th on 14th of december we do have our end of year water almanac series so um that will definitely it's definitely one i'd recommend all our viewers um bookmark in their calendar uh 4 p.m gmt if you're in europe north america and uh, there is also an asia pacific one uh morning running i think 8 a.m gmt uh but 14th of december is the date for that but that's got me thinking about 2023 and i know we're still a month in advance of the year actually ending but how's the year been for you so far yeah good thank you um i i was just thinking as you said that what are the main themes of this year i think for us pfas has been one of the biggest topics that we've been talking about yeah and more broadly i think water has come to the fore in the public discussion in the news we've seen we've had lots of extreme weather events um <laughs> yeah you know, around the world lots of floods uh pfas is a much bigger issue a uh, much more publicly visible issue in north america than it is europe in the uk in the uk the profile of the water sector has been raised in uh, quite a negative way by the amount of pollution uh released into the rivers by the water companies and Elsewhere, of course, yeah, we've had flooding in the UK too. We've had flooding uh, in many places in the world. And- you know, we go on about this in the water industry. We we obviously like to talk about water, but I'm glad you mentioned the term extreme weather events because just before this podcast, I actually found an extreme weather event calendar for all oh. the events that have taken place in 2023. I'm not joking. There is actually something under each month of this year. And there's all sorts of headlines from worst floods in decades in Somalia and Kenya, deadly storm in rips through Western Europe, powerful hurricane in Mexico and wildfires in Canada and cyclone in Myanmar. Like it's just endless. So like, you know, I guess it's not a, you know, it's, it's not, we're not all in in this big echo chamber talking about water and how important it is. It's actually making headlines. It's, you know, climate, the climate crisis has been hard at work through 2023. We've seen record breaking news from Africa to Chile to Canada to Asia, it's here to stay if we don't do something about it. Yeah, that's right. Extreme weather events have become almost routine when you when you look at how many there are, and that's how we've talked about water and climate change. We've we've always been saying that you know it's it's going to be expressed through too much or too little water. Yeah, um, yeah. It's 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 uh, leads into almost everything that we're covering these days. Exactly. Uh, Which brings us, I guess, to what we're trying to do in these podcast series, which is shed a bit of light each month on the work that Blue Tech are doing. Um, So for this particular episode, we're referring back to the November edition of our um, intelligence briefing series, which is something all our clients get a copy of. But there was a few things that struck out to me, Reese, in our edition this month. One was that we provided taster i guess of our new article on recycling and reverse osmosis membranes which i find 
interesting as a topic because, of course, given its excessive use, there there is a growing concern in the industry over the accumulation of these spent membranes. So anything we can do to reduce this waste, I guess, would be welcomed. But the bit I don't get is how are these membranes recycled or brought back to life? I mean, we're talking about a really delicate, complex construct here. So like, how does that even work? Yeah, that's right. It, it is. RO membranes are very complex. Um, and I was quite surprised to find that you can essentially turn them into other membranes. Yeah. Uh, and what's been happening is a, a Spanish research institute called the IMDA Water. They've developed a method of basically just treating the RO membranes with sodium hypochlorite. And that strips off the outer layer, the, the polyamide layer on the outer surface, which is the part that gets fouled and degraded at the end of the membrane's life. And that results in a membrane which is not a UF membrane, but mimics its properties extremely closely. You can use it as a UF membrane. Mm-hmm. And even more interestingly, by adjusting that process, uh, they can make something very much like an NF membrane. So you can effectively produce UF and NF membranes out of old RO membranes, and that's got environmental benefits, uh, yeah. of course. And uh, I guess... From a market interest standpoint, and you know this might sound rather obvious, but I don't see why any end user, a utility or an industrial end user, wouldn't be interested in exploring this further, as it means saving a huge cost saving for them in the long run, doesn't it? Well, there are still technical challenges. And uh, like any upcycling material like this, you need to have a market, a functioning supplier chain. And so, you know, some plants are further away from where you might be able to distribute RO membranes. There's the question of having a steady supply of form RO membranes and old use membranes. But I mean, it's very compelling. The cost looks like it might stack up as well, according to one study. Right. Uh, if you look at uh, the price range of new UF or NF modules, they range from between 400 to 800 euros for, for a module. You can create these sort of mimics of UF and NF membranes from former RO membranes for below 100 euros. So you can see there's a very compelling economic case there, potentially. Yeah, and you know what would be really interesting would be to compare how long is the lifespan of a secondhand RO membrane and how does that compare to a brand new RO membrane? Hopefully it isn't too much shorter because otherwise what would be the point of it all? You can extend it by, uh, you know, a, a number of months. I forget the exact figure, right. um, but I think it's it's not doubling the lifespan, but it's increasing it by a year or eighteen months or something like that. It's it's definitely worth studying more than yeah. anything. Um, okay. So, yeah. yeah. Talking about uh, waste and recycling, you know, microplastics is something that we're covering this month. What what did you think about that? I thought it was interesting, but you know, like. Every time someone mentions the word microplastics, it's like you hear this big sigh in the room because, <laughs> yeah, yes, we acknowledge it's a problem, but we keep coming back to the fact that we right now don't have a method for detecting them in the environment, which means we cannot measure the extent of the problem. And we know it's a, it's a big problem, but it, it's not good enough to say big if we're going to invest millions, if not billions, to try and fix it. Yeah, that's right. And the, it, it's a tricky area the more you look into microplastics and nanoplastics the the more problems you find with even knowing what the situation is even just gathering a sample of water to test 
is difficult because most big containers are plastic and might leach nanoplastics into the sample and contaminate it. So you need expensive, heavy stainless steel containers. And that's before you get to looking at the disagreement over what counts as a nanoplastic or a microplastic and all the different hundreds or even thousands of types of plastic and their different properties. It's a very complex problem. Yeah. And I mean, is there is there any sign of us making any progress in the detection area? Well, we've got an article on specifically detection of an analysis of uh, micro nanoplastics. And there are a couple of companies, it's an unmet need, but there are a couple of companies working on um, uh, scanners, um, not scanners, but uh, detectors for microplastics mm-hmm. using a number of you know, quite established methods like uh, electrochemical impedance spectroscopy, uh, you know, an established method. Uh, but the because of the difference in measurements, techniques, and the uh, disagreement over what counts as microplastic and whether you should use one meter cube per sample size or take 15 cubic meters as a basic sample size. That's the kind of range of disagreement. That all complicates things. Right. And that complexity is making it difficult to legislate. And without that legislation, there isn't that same pressure to invest and to install this kind of equipment and to use it. But yeah, there are a couple of uh, prototypes out there. Um, which are looking at developing in-situ sampling and analysis technology. Okay. Yeah, so we really need something. Well, we need those to accelerate to, you know, for us to really move the needle here in the microplastics area. Yeah, exactly. Moving to something a little bit more data-driven, I guess, one of the things that struck me was we did a piece on an MBR market. And for those who don't know what an anMBR is. It's an anaerobic membrane bioreactor technology that combines anaerobic digestion and membrane filtration in a single treatment process step. So we looked at this particular technology and the market more specifically. But what struck me was that when I saw the adoption of anMBR technologies, that you know, really that the the market actually is isn't growing as quickly as we thought or all. Oh, I should say, isn't growing as fast as we'd like it to grow. In fact, I think the adoption curve shows that there's been some sort of slowdown in installations since 2019. Um, was there a reason we chose to highlight this particular technology? Well, the, the reason we revisited it is because it's it's a very interesting technology with, with huge potential, especially yeah. for industrial wastewater, especially food and drink. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there was a very rapid rise in installations until you know, around 2020. And then it's, it's still rising, but it's leveled off a little bit, which uh, we you know weren't expecting to see. And that's partly maybe because of the expense of the membranes compared to um, standard membranes. Um, and it's partly because of awareness. Um, it's not really something that certainly utilities aren't uh, very aware of it. Uh, a lot of industrial sectors are not too aware so far. And there are only... Right three main suppliers uh still so it's a very young technology in that sense very young technology i mean two really dominant suppliers and then you know you know a couple of you know one or two smaller ones but yeah very very young mark uh you know early market i guess and new technology yeah so Um, it's you know the advantages are you get higher quality effluent um 
you, you can produce biogas, which can offset your energy requirements, which is huge. Um, but there are technical challenges as well. It doesn't work so well in lower temperatures, and it's vulnerable to shock loading as well. Um, but yeah, having said that, there's yeah, it's it's a little bit of a mystery why it's not rising quite as fast as it was. Mm-hmm. I guess it's um, the retrofit uh, market is maybe the easy wins have gone, and now it's a question of you know plugging away and opening up that market in a more uh, standard way. Yeah, and you know, for our audience, if you want to get understand those numbers and get behind the data, do 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 read the article and. Uh, the data set is accessible through the Blue Tech platform as well. And then finally, and it feels like we like the extreme weather events, we can almost have a topic on PFAS, or we've we have almost had a topic on PFAS every month this year. And we return yeah. again this month with uh, looking at P, the impact of PFAS on sludge treatment. Yeah, exactly. That. And this is just this is exactly why we've launched our PFAS watch service. Yeah. Um, so this month we're looking at the effect of PFAS or the impact of PFAS on sludge treatment practices. Uh, a lot of people will be aware that the state of Maine and the US has banned land spreading of biosolids for agriculture because of concerns of the PFAS. Not many other places have followed suit yet, but we think that that's probably going to come. And so attention is looking at uh, turned to what are the ways you can destroy PFAS in sludge? Uh, and we are looking at thermal techniques uh, in this article. You know, the, the whole sludge to land debate has has been going on for years. And I think if there's one thing that's going to, you know, finally move the needle here, I think it's going to be PFAS. Um, something is, you know, especially in states like, you know, states like Maine. And, you know, they may not be the only one. There might be other states that follow suit. But if they all start rejecting sludge because of the fact that it's got PFAS in it, then we really do need to find another solution for sludge yeah. disposal. Yeah, because incineration plants and landfills in lots of places are, are not accepting sewage sludge anymore, or, or it's becoming more difficult to dispose of any other way. So if you can't put it on the land, you've you know got to treat it. Yeah. Uh, but obviously that comes at a cost, and you know the pressures to use that biosolids on the land are enormous in places where there isn't any other choice, or there's lots of open rural areas. Um, and, you know, it, there is a concern over the contaminants, but it is an extremely good way to get rid of it and, and uh, good for good for crops. So it's not going to be an overnight change here, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely one area to watch. And then I guess, lastly, uh, for all the water nerds out there, uh, one of the other things that we do in our monthly edition is uh, track patents, the IP landscape in, you know, the IP trends. So is there anything in particular that jumped out to you this month, Reese? Uh, when we looked at patents, you know, there any particular patents that stood out for just how novel they were or the type of application they were being tested on? Yeah, so we tend to pick out um, new applications rather than granted patents to comment on every month and we've got one uh which is called improved apparatus and method for remediation of pfas contamination in an environment by biolago and what they've got is an aqueous electrostatic concentrator um mm. and this is a, an electrodialysis device uh which yeah claims to be able to uh you know remove pfoa and pfos uh very efficiently at levels greater than 90 percent 
So, um, hey. so that's yeah, one interesting one to look out for there. Yeah, definitely. We'll definitely read. Um, you know, we do have a patent watch database as well, where you can click in, double click into this particular patent and, and read more, get get more details that way. So, yeah, be be sure to uh, look out for that BioLargo patent. That's particularly interesting for us this month. Um, anything else, Reese? Any any final words there? I think we've covered, we've summed up some of the areas that we've looked at this month quite well. But any any other things that have crossed your crossed your desk this month? Yeah, there's been a couple of quite a, quite a lot of interesting news, especially with Aquatech Amsterdam being held uh, in early wow. November. So that was when a lot of companies issued lots of news and, and released new products or offerings. Um, Nyhouse Sour Industries have acquired, I think, at least two companies. Certec, uh, the Dutch company that um, separates cellulose from wastewater for recycling. Mm-hmm. Um, they also bought natural, natural Systems Utilities, which uh, provides residential and commercial on-site wastewater and water treatment technology. And Declarity, the PFAS uh, startup using electrochemical methods to destroy PFAS, raised $15.9 million in their Series A funding round. So that mm-hmm. was quite um, interesting. And uh, yeah, there's, there's lots of lots of movement in the sector. Um Lots of link, leak detection-related news. This is something that utilities are really getting seriously into now, and lots of technology providers are trying to get in there and provide various ways of detecting leaks or predicting them or managing them. It's always fascinating at this time of the year with the amount of conferences we have in the water sector, as you quite rightly said. We do see a lot suddenly. Um, you know, It's almost like things accelerate around Q4 of any given year. Um so we've just come back from Aquatech. We were at WefTech earlier this year or earlier in the month. So yeah, lots of different news. Similarly, in the PFAS vein, I guess, around Eclarity, having successfully completed Series A funding. We also um, saw some news around Pure Affinity that was not this month, but you know, uh, previous months where they also raised some funding. Um, funding. So it's been it's been a busy, busy quarter in general. Yeah, it's almost like conference season in the last quarter of the year. Um, although, you know, you could go to a water event every day of the year if you wanted to. There's always <laughs> something happening. Exactly. Uh, and, of course, it'll be the Blue Tech Forum uh, in the first half of next year. So we'll be sort of slightly outside of the pack. So hopefully lots of people can make it to that. Yeah. 3rd and 4th of June is the date. Um, the location is Edinburgh, Scotland. So, um, you know, one thing we can promise you is whiskey tasting and um some scottish music for sure um weather wise we're hoping it to be a sunny crisp sunshine uh scottish uh bright summer day for sure but uh you know and then of course in edinburgh castle you can't really beat that view so that is a stunning backdrop yeah that was great being there last year and looking forward to seeing that again yeah a refreshing change i think from trade show floors conference centers which can get you know, you forget there's a world outside when you're yeah, stuck sometimes. It's uh, a very different vibe to, you know, landing in an airport and having the conference in an airport hotel. You're yeah. in a castle. It's very memorable. Yeah, exactly. We look forward to welcoming all our clients and the Blue Tech community and family there for sure next year. So that's another date for your calendars. Um, but with that, we'll be back again in a, you know, in a few days' time. 
hopefully you've got the 14th of December match in your calendars as that will be the day you will get to hear from different Blue Tech team members on their summary of um, 2023 as well as a little bit about 2024. So what can we predict and what what can we forecast for next year and beyond? So do look forward to that. And uh, thanks very much, Reese. We'll be back very, very soon. Yeah, thanks, Vivian. Bye for now. Bye for now.